morning, and we got all that energy. We just gotta, we gotta go for it. I can't let you down now. We gotta, we really gotta roll. So I hope you got a little bit left in the tank because uh, we got just a few minutes. We want to talk about some important stuff uh, this morning. I want to start off by telling you a story I read this week. Uh, certainly nothing new. Back, uh, back way, way, when it, 1908, whenever the Titanic disaster happened, you hear all these stories out of, uh, you know, there's thousands of people that are affected by this, and you hear these stories that kind of trickle down. And one of the ones I heard this week was so fascinating to me. Uh, it was about a guy by the name of John Harper. And John Harper was, uh, he was on the Titanic, Christian guy on the Titanic. It was himself and his daughter that were on the ship. They were coming uh, to the States. He had a job in Chicago that he was looking toward. Uh, of course, the iceberg struck, disaster happened, wrapped his daughter in a blanket, put her on a lifeboat, and then somebody handed him a life vest. And he found somebody else that needed one, and he handed the life vest right off to somebody else. And then he kept going up and down the decks, people said, saying, uh, women, children and the unsaved onto the lifeboats like he was he was thinking about the unsaved he's like christians we got to stay we're you know we can go down with the ship unsaved onto the lifeboats uh and he ended up in the water and there were multiple reports about this how john harper would would was swimming around the frigid atlantic frigid atlantic ocean trying to talk to people about jesus like last moments of their life um, so there were people in boats saying, yeah, we saw this guy, we, he was, this is what he was doing. And it was funny to, uh, to, to me a little bit, not really funny, it's tragedy, but it, it was kind of funny to me that there, in this one case, there was this guy clinging to some, some stuff that he, he talked about this later, his name is, uh, uh, I can't remember, Webb, something like that. You can, you can fact check me if you want later, I'll give you the details. Uh, but he was clinging to this debris and John Harper came floating over to him and he says, hey, man, are you saved? And the, and the guy was like, no, I'm not saved. So he tries to explain what it means to become a Christian and follow Jesus and give your life to Jesus, I guess, in the last few seconds of your life. And then it, it, the guy said that some uh, wave kind of swept him further away. And then a couple minutes later, it swept him back to him. And he's like, are you saved yet? <laughs> And I, I, I just, I love that. I, I love this, like, this, this, this approach, like, this lifestyle uh, to, to evangelism, just being committed. And I don't know if, like, uh, where is water? What prevents me from being baptized? You just got to go under and come back up again. I don't know. I don't know how all that works you know, at the, in a disaster. But, but his friends and his family, when they heard the story, they said that's just who he was. That was just his lifestyle. It wasn't, it wasn't just in this moment. He wasn't, you know, this wasn't his response to tragedy or disaster. This is just, this is who he was. And he was who he was in disaster and, and in good. It's just who he was running up and down the decks of the Titanic saying, get the unsaved onto the boats. That's just who he was. And I thought I, that story kind of was so powerful to me um, because of, of what we're going to be talking about today. And, and I was thinking, Wow. I, I struggle with evangelism in the best of circumstances, like when everything is going perfectly. I mean, I, I don't even, it's not even easy when somebody comes up to me and says, hey, talk to me about Jesus. Like, I get all nervous, and what do I say, and I don't want to say it wrong. I mean, can you imagine under the type of pressure that, that he, was, uh, he was sharing his faith? And I thought maybe I need a disaster scenario for that extra push. Maybe that would really put me over the top and make me a little bit better at this. But last week we talked about the idea of evangelism, the definition of evangelism, and it's this. Evangelism is identification and proclamation. I know that's some like big words and you're kind of in your like, okay, I'm going to tune out right now because that's too much. But I, I, evangelism is identification and proclamation. So proclamation we all get, right? Proclamation is like, hey, you, you need Jesus. We get that. We know that. 
Uh, we sometimes shy away from that. We, we worry about people who do that on street corners. We, we know that. That's the proclamation part of it. But last week, we talked about the identification piece. And this is the thing that we have to like, learn the people that we're trying to reach and talk to. And we got to remove those roadblocks. You remember that verse in Acts chapter 15, verse 19? We should not make it difficult for those that are turning to God. That's, that's the identification part. And we talked about how as a church that we need to be intentional and diligent about removing roadblocks in the way of other people trying to see Christ. Not letting anything get in the way of that because that is our, that is our focus and that is our goal. So we're going we're gonna to look this morning in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 19. I'm going to do something you're not supposed to do in, uh, in church, but we're going to use the same text two weeks in a row, and I'm going to do that. I feel safe doing that because I'm pretty confident nobody remembers the text from last week. So we're just going to go ahead and use it again. I thought about preaching the same sermon again to see how that would go, but I was a little, I was a little nervous about that. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 19. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 19. He says, Though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone. We talked about how big that was, that concept was. He says, To win as many as possible. He says, To the Jews I became like a Jew, to win the Jews. To those under the law I became like one under the law. Now I want to just stop for a second. We're going to go through the rest of that passage. But last week we emphasized the idea of like becoming like someone. I became like them to try to, to try to connect with them and remove the barriers that would be in place for, for them to know who Jesus is. But this week we're going to emphasize this idea of win, the word win. And that is a word that I guarantee you probably makes Christians uncomfortable. And I know it makes non-Christians uncomfortable when we start talking about like we're trying to win souls. People are like, look, I don't want a sales job. I don't want to be one. I don't want any of that. But this is the language that Paul uses. I want to identify with someone to win them to Christ. He says, though I myself am not under the law, uh, I became as someone under the law so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law. Though I am, free, not, though I am not free from God's law, but I am under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. So you have all this like, like language in there that probably gets a little confusing as you try to read through it too fast. But he's saying, I'm trying to identify with people to win them, to win them, to win them. Verse 22, to the weak I became weak. To win the weak, I have become all things to all people, so that by all possible means I might save some. This idea of winning people and saving people. And I feel like we've got to frame this up. That we understand what we're, what we're talking about when we're talking about this. When we use the word win, when we use the word save, we are talking about salvation. Someone's salvation. This is not just you kind of becoming a better person. This isn't you having your best life now. This isn't you giving you three ways to make yourself a better Christian. This is talking about the fact that God has tasked us for some crazy reason with offering salvation to the people around us. It's not through us. It's because of Christ, but we're like the vessels of that. And that is nutso to me. That is such a huge responsibility that it scares me to the degree I don't even want to talk about it sometimes. But this is, the, this is the subject at hand, the salvation of the people around us. That, that's, that's what motivated people like John Harper to run up and down the decks and say, let's get those unsaved on the boats. That's what motivated him to swim through the Atlantic to people who are clinging to wreckage to say, hey, let's get saved right here, right now. Let's do this. It was the salvation of souls. So don't miss that. Don't misunderstand that. Don't lose that focus. We're talking about salvation. But if I'm being honest... And uh, I try to be. I, uh, I lean way toward identification. 
I lean way toward this relate side. So when I was talking about this subject last week, I could just really get after it and be like, yeah, we got to relate. We got to remove roadblocks. We got to learn what people are like. We got to understand them so that we can try to win them. I lean toward that. In fact, I lean toward that so, so much sometimes that I don't even ever get to the proclamation part. Oh, I'm, I'm still in identification phase. We're still learning what they're like. You know, yeah, I've known them for two decades, but we're still, you know, feeling things out. We don't want to move too fast now. We're still identifying. We're still figuring out. We're still re- re- relating. Uh, as we talked about this in our life groups this week, so those of you life groups that don't use the discussion questions, you missed this, and you should really hound your leaders to use the discussion questions at life group. But if you didn't do this, some of our life groups, I know some of you are like, nope, not going to do it. I just saw you're, you're like, no. To me, you're like, you're looking at me saying, no. Not going to do it. Like in church even. Like, oh man, so rude. Uh, that's all right. Whatever. I'll tell you what the life group questions were. And then you can feel guilty about it. But, but last week we talked about this idea. And we asked the question of where do people lean? So, so where are they kind of, you know, do they lean more towards this proclamation where they're like tempted more to stand out on the street corner and say, yay, you come to Jesus, repent, you know. Or do they lean more towards this like we're just trying to develop a relationship and a connection and 99% of us were like, we're all about the identification, often to the exclusion of proclaiming. There was one person in my life group that was like, I'm more, way more proclaiming, and it was my mom, so you would think that I would get it, but I didn't. Um, Jordan, I asked him about this in his life group, and he said the same thing. We lean way towards more identification. That's our thing. Identification is our thing. We want to relate. We want to make sure we, want to make sure we really know this person. And, and, and church, I think we're tempted to relate to the degree that we don't ever actually get to the gospel. I think that's the struggle. That's the struggle I have, and I'm, I'm starting to sense that's the struggle that maybe we as a church have. We're, we're, we're identifying so much we're not actually ever proclaiming. The Barna Group was this group that does a lot of studies about um, <clears throat> church stuff. They go around churches, ask people questions. One of the questions they posed to a bunch of churches was this, like, you know, anonymously, how many people? Because if you don't ask this anonymously, you get lies even in churches. But how, how, what percentage, you know, how many people feel like they, they are, like, called and gifted and able and, and willing to proclaim, willing to tell people about Jesus, willing to share their faith, you know, willing to, to, to go out and speak it? And they came back with this statistic that I was a little blown away by. But this was how, what percentage of people in churches are like actively sharing their faith. You know what the percentage was? 1%. That means in a church our size, there's about two and a half people sharing their faith. I know who the half is. She's a fifth grader. But I don't know about the other two. And that's... That's pretty wild to me. Like, I, I was thinking, I'm, not, I'm, I'm part of that 99% that's not doing it, and I work here. Like, what's wrong with me? And I know sometimes I can give myself a little credit. Well, hey, yeah, Patrick, you, you talked to this guy the other day, or, you know, some, some kid from camp called and said, hey, I want to talk about baptism. You know, I, I got that kind of thing. But, you know, I got neighbors. I got neighbors that I haven't had these conversations with. We've lived there for five years now. You think I should maybe begin to have a conversation? We've got the identification part down. They know who I am. I know who they are. Why haven't I gotten to this point? Because I'm in that 99%. So here's the thing. This is not going to do it, church. This isn't going to get it done. We're not going to be the church that God calls us to be if that statistic fits us. 
That's just the bottom line. Now, I know a lot of you are a little nervous about this. You're like, listen, I'm very comfortable and happy being the 99%. This is the 1%. In this case, I don't want to be this 1%. Maybe in other situations, but not in this case. I'm happy being the 99%. That scares me. It makes me nervous. It makes me sweat. It makes me anxious. I don't want to talk to my friends and neighbors. I just want to shine my light, let this light shine, and hope that they come and ask me. Maybe I'll have an answer for them. Maybe I won't. But that's, that's how I want to evangelize. But that is not going to do it. This conversation typically dredges up our guilt and our defensiveness, and I think most of us are thinking that is just not who I am. That is just not who I am. That's why we hired Jordan, right? (laughs) He's the outreach guy. And Jordan would tell you, listen, this is not who I am either. My job isn't to do it all. My job is to get you guys to do it. That's what he would say. That's not who I am. The reality is this. We know we should We don't. That's the stark reality, right? And I've been thinking, I've been worrying, I've been praying, I've been studying, I've been figuring this out for a long time. I shouldn't say figuring it out, trying to figure it out for a long time. Uh, And trying to think, like, what is the deal? Like, what what gets us that way? You meet certain people who just have this, you you know, the John Harpers of the world. But but what is the deal? What is is holding us back? Like, how how, how do we get past this roadblock of just not actually telling people about Jesus? How do we do that? How do we get there? And and I came up with what I think is the answer. All right? And I think this is a fundamental shift in my thinking. But I, I offer this to this morning as a way for us to begin, maybe just baby steps toward being the proclaimer that God is calling us to be, to share the gospel with the world. I know that just sentence just made a lot of you nervous. And I'm going to say it like this. Evangelism isn't something we do. And a lot of you are like, yes, oh, I've been, I've been suspicious about that for a long time, and I'm glad you're confirming it. That's great. I'm off the hook. I'll take care of the babies in the nursery. It gets me out of hearing the sermon anyway. That's wonderful. Evangelism isn't something that we do, and that's perfect. That's, I'm comfortable there. Thank you, Patrick. Uh, let's get that closing song. Let's get the show on the road. I got some lunch. I'm going to feel good about myself the rest of the week because evangelism isn't something we do. Well, pardon my grammar, but evangelism is not something we do. Evangelism is something we are. And a lot of you are like, that is bad grammar. I'm glad you pointed that out. (laughs) Evangelism is something we are. Now, Now, do me a favor. Those of you that just thought, listen, that's not me. That's not who I am. I want you to grab a hold of that thought. I want you to just sit on it just for a few minutes till we're done and then you can pick that thought back up if I haven't made my case. But I want you to wait just a second before you assume that's not something we are. And I want to tell you something. This is so important, church. This is not about guilt because I know a lot of you are like, oh man, I feel so guilty. I've been next to this neighbor for 30 years and I've never told him about Jesus and I'm just, I, what if I see him in heaven and they're like, you never told me. You know, like, what, what, I just can't, this is this guilt, this guilt, this guilt. Guilt doesn't work because you've had guilt for a long time and you still haven't done anything, right? Guilt, guilt is not the answer, and that's not where I'm going this morning. It's not about guilt, all right? I want you to know that because some of you are like, okay, well, I got to put on my guilt shoulder pad so I can take a guilt load today and leave church with, you know, guilt backpack. It's not what we're going to do today. It's not about guilt, and I think that's very important to acknowledge. What this is not, it is not about guilt. This is about a shift in our identity, shift in our identity. And I want, I want to tell you about why this is a little radical because I'm, what I'm proposing is a fundamental shift in who we think we are. As Christians. 
If you're a visitor here today, we are so grateful that you're here. And we want you to know we're, we beat ourselves up sometimes because we know that we're not as good as we should be. And this is one of those conversations we're going to have this morning about being better Christians. So you can just sit back and relax and enjoy feeling like, oh yeah, Christians are getting it too. This is, this is what it's like, all right? Fundamental shift in our identity. I want to show you a picture. Um, this, is, uh, this, is, this is my dad. And my uncle. So my dad is here. He's on, uh, he's on your left. And uh, I, I just want to point out that he dresses exactly the same, with the exception of the short pants. Like, if you had come to church last week, you know, when it was 40 degrees, he would have had the sweater, the tie, the jacket on, just long pants. It's the only difference. So just so you know, my dad has been wearing the same thing for the last six, forty. I better be careful here. few decades. And this is, uh, this is my uncle. Uh, his name is Uncle Pat. His name is also Patrick Doherty. He's, I've told you about all the Patrick Doherty's in our family. Here's, here's another one. Um, and uh, my, my dad was born in um, Glasgow, Scotland. And his family had Im- immigrated over there from, from Ireland. So he came over to Scotland with, uh, with a little accent, you know, a little Irish accent. And, uh, and then when he was in, in uh, or his parents rather came over with an accent and then, you know, he Picks up on that a little bit. And then when he's in, growing up in Scotland, of course, he develops a Scottish brogue. You know, you can imagine. And if you listen closely, you should have an extended conversation with my dad. Which, by the way, is very difficult to do. He's kind of introverted, so you're not going to get a lot of back and forth. But I just challenge you to really work on it after church this morning. I want to see a line of people trying to have a conversation with him. That would be, that would be fantastic. My dad isn't even smiling. He's, he's just out and out nervous. He doesn't think, look at that. It's not happy about this at all. I'd tell you do it. That would, be, that would make my day. So, you, Dad, you can shout out if I'm getting this wrong, but when he was 11 years old, he, uh, he and his family um, migrated then to the States. They came through Ellis Island, kind of all that historic stuff, you know, and then they, they settled down in, uh, in Brooklyn. And here he was, you know, 11 years old, maybe a fifth grader, sixth grader, and, uh, and, and he had this thick Scottish accent. And so he said his teacher would make him get up in front of the class and read stuff. They thought it was such a, you know, such a neat novelty. But he said he remembered at one point in his childhood, he said it didn't really negatively affect him, but he remembered at one point in his childhood that people were trying to get him to take speech therapy so he wouldn't sound so Scottish, you know, and over the years he's kind of he's lost it. But being an immigrant is a, is a shift in your identity. It's a shift in your, your culture and in your environment and your family and your future. It's a shift in your identity. Uh, as I was working on this sermon, we have a, a couple that has been with here for three, through about three or four weeks, uh, Gary and Jenny Sullivan. They're here this morning, and I asked if I could talk a little bit about this, but Gary was born in Northern Ireland. Correct me if I'm wrong on any of these details. And when he was about 11, he moved to Virginia. Now, you can imagine Northern Ireland, that Irish accent, then moving to Virginia. And he said he got, uh, he got beat up quite a bit in Virginia. I guess those Southern boys just aren't quite as open-minded, and I don't know. There's a lot of southern boys in the room, so that just did not land at all. <laughs> but, but he said, I said, well, that doesn't make sense, because I, I would think the girls would really like the accent. And he was like, oh, the girls did like the accent. The boys that liked the girls did not like the fact that the girls liked the accent, so the boys beat me up. And so Gary said he actually took speech therapy to lose the accent and pick up a Virginian accent. So if you talk to Gary after church this morning, which you should do, you're not going to hear Irish I know you're all, you were like, oh, I'm so excited. No, you're going to hear Virginian, which is still exciting, right? I don't want to knock anybody. 
But it's a shift in identity. It's a shift in identity. Your culture, your language, your country, uh, the, the, the expectations of your family and the people around you. It's a shift in identity. And I want you to understand, church, that I acknowledge this. What I'm talking to you about this morning is a shift in I- your identity. Some of you may already be here. Some of you may feel this. But, but this is a shift in your identity from what maybe you thought you should do and what your expectations were as a Christian, who you were as a Christian, to something different and something else. And that's what, we're, that's what this is. It's a shift in our identity. I want to I walk you through what I think this looks like. Again, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 19. It says, uh, he, he, it says that he tried to relate to people who were, had a Jewish background, people who had a background with, with the, the Old Testament law, people who didn't have any law, people who were weak. And, and I was really curious, and this is something that you can just think about and discuss for yourself at some point, but I was really curious what our categories would be. Well, what would our categories be that we have to relate to? It wouldn't, wouldn't necessarily be the same ones as Paul, but what would our categories be? And as I'm thinking about this passage, uh, essentially, what Paul is saying is he's saying, I want you, or I, this is what I do, and he, he encourages people to do it later in a couple chapters, but he says, I want you to think like a missionary. I want you to think like a missionary. I want you to relate to the people around you. Like a missionary, you go into these different cities, you know, Ephesus, or you go into Athens, or you go into Rome, and you're thinking like the people that you're around. Going to Jerusalem, you think like a missionary. And this is, the, this is the shift in identity piece. This is the realization that just recently dawned on me. And I'm slow to the uptake, so maybe some of you are already there. But the reason, the reason Paul wants you to think like a missionary is because you are a missionary, I didn't realize this. I thought missionaries were the people that did this other stuff. But Paul's saying, you, Christian, are a missionary. Now, I know the pushback. I sense the pushback. I I anticipated what it would be because a lot of you are like, whoa, 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 whoa. Pump the brakes there. I'm not not digging this at all. This is one of those sermons, me and uh, my husband, me and my wife, we're going to go deconstruct on the way home because I don't know that I agree with this. I'm a missionary. Because listen, missionaries, I I didn't sign up to be a missionary. I'm not a missionary. And and you're probably not a good one. I admit that. But (laughs) yet, we're working on it. But but you're a missionary. And, And you're saying, whoa, 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 whoa. Missionaries, they, you know, missionaries, they, they care deeply about a, a specific country and, and, and so much so that they're willing to live in that country. Most of you like America, more or less. You're here, right? You don't have anywhere else to go. You care deeply about this country, right? Yeah. Oh, okay. So you're saying, well, wait a second. Missionaries, you know, they're willing to learn the language and all that stuff. Well, <laughs> good news. Most of you are close to 100% fluent. Some of us struggle every once in a while, but, you know, I mean, we know a lot of the words, right? We got, I have the basic vocabulary down, so I can speak English. That's a good thing. Oh, that helps a little bit. All right. And you, but you're saying, whoa, 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 whoa. Missionaries, they learn about the local customs and culture. They get all immersed in trying to understand the people that they're working with. I think most of you know the American culture pretty well. Some of you know it too well, Right? Some of you need to back off on the culture just a little bit. But you know the culture. You know the customs. You know the way of life. You know the thinking. You can relate to the people around you. And, well, okay, well, but I didn't sign up to be a missionary. I, I didn't ask for that. Well, good news. It's a package deal. You wanted to be a follower of Christ? One of the things he told his followers to do was go make more followers. That was the last thing he told his followers to do. It seems pretty important. 
I didn't sign up for this. Well, I don't think you had to. I think God just gave you that responsibility. You're a missionary. Now, that, that idea changed my thinking quite a bit when I was thinking about the people that I'm relating to. It changed my thinking quite a bit. Now, some of you are like, well, I don't know. I'm still not there, but let, let me make my case. Uh, I have a, a cousin and her husband who live in small-town Nebraska, um, and a lot of Nebraska is small-town Nebraska. But if, you, uh, if you've ever driven on I-80, going east or west, you've driven through or by a town called Lexington, Nebraska. It's about 10,000 people, just typical middle America town. And they moved there, I think uh, they said, in, in about 16 years ago or so. Um, and, and they moved just to work in a normal church. He preaches at this uh, Lexington Church of Christ, just a normal situation. Lexington is just a normal town, American, you know, baseball, apple pie, is just a normal town. Well, over the course of the last couple decades, Lexington has gone through a pretty dramatic shift. And so I was corresponding with my cousin a little bit this week to try to get some of the details right. Uh, The population in the town is over 70% Latino. 70%. That's that's pretty different than your typical small town Nebraska. It's about 15-20% Somali. And they're not even sure if they've got that right because they haven't been able to get the census count right. This is not your typical small town middle America. They, they moved to a small town, middle of America, but under their feet, it shifted. And, and now in this little Nebraska town, you can get some of the, like, the best East African cuisine. They have these international markets. It's just this amazing little flourishing international place. And, and, and it kind of happened under their feet a little bit. And, and it's kind of like they woke up one morning and like, surprise, you're on the mission field. And just in this case, the mission field was able to move to them. Here's the truth, church. You are on the mission field. I know we don't like that language. We don't like the language of win. We don't like the language of evangelism. We don't like that. We try to avoid that. But you are on the mission field. That's, that's just the bottom line. There's just no other way to put this. Your school's youth group is the mission field. That's the mission field. Your neighborhoods, your communities, I know we don't like this. You're like, I don't want to be that family in the neighborhood. I don't... Guess what? You're a follower of Jesus. He says, think like a missionary. You're a missionary. Your, your workplaces are the mission field. No, 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 no. You just went too far. Back right off there, buddy. Uh, there are policies in place about what can and can't happen at work. You're, my work is not the mission field. Hmm, maybe you're in the wrong career. You're a missionary. You're a missionary. My cousin and her husband are working through different strategies to try to identify with their community, but they're, they're on the mission field, and it's just a more stark realization than, than we realize. Now, I'm not telling you to quit your job or anything like that, but I'm telling you, you have to shift your identity and realize the, the reality is, is that God is using you to work in the lives of the people around you. I can tell. I'm losing some of you right now. I can tell. You know why? Because this is a big responsibility, and it's not one that we want. I know that. I understand that. It's not one that we want to have. It's not one that we want to do. But this 1% garbage is not going to get it done. It's not going to get it done in my life. It's not going to get it done in my neighborhoods, my community. It's not going to get it done. It's not going to get it done for you either. Some of you are like, okay, whatever. All right, I'm a missionary. <laughs> Fine. If that'll make you happy, Patrick. If it'll wrap up this sermon, we can all go home. I'm a missionary. Fine, I'm a missionary. What does that actually change? Does that actually mean anything? 
Well, what do I actually do different? Tell people about Jesus every once in a while? Do I slip Jesus into a conversation just every once in a while? You know, like, hey, how's the weather? I don't know. God created the world. It's always good. I don't Do we do that? Like, how, how do, you know, what is this? What, what does it actually change? Well, the thing is, it changes a lot. And, and, and there's a lot more than, than what I'm going to show you. But here's five things I, I sat down and thought up this morning, or not this morning, rather this week, about what it would change that I want to share with you this morning. Number one, a missionary isn't primarily concerned with ensuring or preoccupied with their own comfort and happiness. They're concerned with the mission. We spend a lot of time and effort and money making sure that we're happy. Secondly, a missionary's job or their life or their schedule supports, not dominates, the mission. Mm, Yeah, I know. We don't like that one. Unless there's a threat of death, missionaries don't try to pretend they're not missionaries. A missionary's primary political concern is whether or not these laws or these politicians give me the best chance to share my faith. That's their primary political concern. What were you worried about again? That's the missionary's primary political concern. Listen, a missionary isn't surprised or dismayed when the culture doesn't reflect their values. In fact, they expect it because they're a missionary. Whoa, the people around me don't believe like me? That's nuts. Well, guess what? You're a missionary. You expect that. And you're not trying to to fix the culture. You're trying to win people. You're not trying to make rules and laws that change the culture. You're trying to change people through the power of God. People. And that changes culture. Maybe we're fighting the wrong battles. I could go on, um, and you have to kind of discover what it looks like for you to think like a missionary. But I I tell you what, as I was thinking about this uh, over the last two or three weeks, thinking about what that looked like, that, that made so much sense to me in different situations. Like, oh, if I were a missionary, this is what I would do. That's so much more clear. There's so much confusion sometimes about what is the right thing to do, what is the right thing to say. Think like a missionary. So this week, this is my challenge to you. Is, is, is your job, I know, man, I'm going to get in trouble, right? Somebody's going to get fired because they thought like a missionary. They're going to be like, my preacher told me to. But in your job, in your neighborhood, in your school, in, 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 in your social network, what if you thought like a missionary? What would that change? How would that look? Why would that be different? I know it's difficult. I'm not saying it's not difficult, but I'm saying it's, it's what we need to be doing. We got to, I'm a little nervous that that 1% is a reflection of our church. And I hope that's not the case. But church, we have been tasked with a mission. We have been tasked with a mission by God that he is using us to draw people to himself. And if we have a mission, that makes us missionaries. We're going to close out with a word of prayer. I'm going to invite Leon to, uh, to come up and close us out. He's going to read off some prayer requests. Some of these prayer requests are opportunities for you to minister, to be a missionary in some way, to support, to encourage. But I don't want you just to think about the, the internal. I want you this week to be thinking about the world around you and about the people around you in, who, in whose life God has given you influence. Leon?